Welcome to the Jump Around with Blake Dudonis, my podcast on women's basketball. Joining me today, it's the head coach of Wright State University, Katrina Merriweather. Katrina took over the program after being an assistant for a few years there, and uh, if you don't know, Wright State, one of the best mid-major programs year in and year out. This year, they're again a top 15, top 20 mid-major program. They're actually two games away from clinching the Horizon League regular season outright. They got two road games coming up. If they win both, they win it outright by themselves. I'm looking forward to talking to Katrina because, again, I've said this before if you've listened, I always think it's difficult when someone takes over a head coaching job when the previous head coach was really successful, and that's what happened here. Uh, Katrina took over a team that was really good, and not only has she maintained the level of success they had, they've even taken some steps forward. So I want to talk to her about that. She played at Cincinnati. Uh, She coached at a few stops. She's had some turmoil in her life, too. I want to talk to her about all those things. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to chatting with her. So we'll get her on the phone right now and be right back. This is the Jump Around. And welcome back to the Jump Around. And joining me, it is the head coach of Wright State University, Katrina Merriweather. Coach, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, it's always a pleasure when coaches can join me after a win. And you guys are on a three-game winning streak. So congrats on the win, and thanks so much for the time today. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a really exciting time around here. We're pretty grateful and appreciative. and uh, The kids are playing hard, and, and we're having fun. Well, I kind of gave everyone a, an a, allude in the in the open before getting you on the phone. So if people aren't familiar with your program, you guys uh, are one of the best, best mid-majors in the country, and, and you've been there for a while. And we'll get into that. But before we dive in to your Wright State program, I want to go back, and I want... I want to go back to, to Trina in the jersey. Put the Cincinnati jersey back on. I want to go back to your playing days when you... Oh, oh yeah. Oh, we're going to the, the time machine. We're going back in the time machine. <laughs> and when you were at Cincinnati, you, um, you went to the postseason all four years. Uh, you, you saw a lot of success there. Uh, I'm curious what player Trina would have told me um, on senior night. Hey, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? What would she have told me then? I was pretty confident um, around my sophomore year in college that I wanted to be a college coach. Uh, my father had uh, youth mentoring and AAU program at the time, and so I got a chance to go back and coach with him in the summer. Um, the program that I came up in is called The Family, and I had a lot of, of mentors and turned around and I became a mentor myself and had some really, really talented players. And I always tell people that it's easy to fall in love with coaching when you win a lot. <laughs> and uh, We had uh, Shire Eli, who was the Naismith, and, and I can just name a ton of players. Um, Ashley Allen, Jackie Baptiste, Notre Dame, you know, just some really, really talented kids. And um, it made me fall in love with it. And I think that that's where it started. Um, and then I had these great coaches at Cincinnati, and they really valued the experience that we had. And it, it was tough, and they were tough on us. But yeah, I was pretty convinced with the combination of the two experiences that it was what I wanted to do well and then you you do exactly what you said you get into coaching you're a grad assistant at Cincinnati and then you move to UIC as an assistant 
Um, I'm always interested in people who start their coaching career at their alma mater. It, it helps because there's a you know a level a level of comfort and uh, you just know things a little bit better. But when you take that first full time coaching job at UIC, uh, what was the transition like for you? Even knowing you wanted to coach, um, was there anything that surprised you about the coaching business or anything like that? Oh yeah, you realize you don't know anything. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you don't really realize that that the buses don't just show up. You know, somebody has to, to order them. The food just doesn't appear. Somebody you know has to go pick it up. And and I think that that was the valuable part of being at Cincinnati for that fifth year. And I really appreciate the Lori Pertle for for keeping me on, uh, being able to turn around and see the inside of a program that you again didn't know all the things that went into coaching and then being on the other side. So that was really cool. Uh, Lisa Rakebush that hired me at UIC was an assistant at DePaul. So we were in the same conference and she had actually heard that I wanted to coach. And it was just a tremendous opportunity at, at 22 years old to be able to be an assistant coach at a D1 level uh, for someone like her. Uh, who had been under the tutelage of Doug Bruno. So I, I, get, I learned all these things um, indirectly from people I didn't even have to work for. Uh, and, and Lisa was phenomenal because I tell you, I didn't know anything. I, I didn't know how to do film exchange. I didn't know how to do any of that. Uh, what I did at Cincinnati was broke down film that was already there. Yeah. So it's all those intricate details that you got no idea about. Yeah. Um, so she had great patience. Thank God. Um, <laughs> and she, she probably could have fired me with all the mistakes uh. I made. Um, because I, I think that, that again, people kind of assume like, Hey, you've been a GA and, and your dad's got this AU program, you know what you're doing, but I really hadn't had any of those responsibilities yet. So yeah. that was a, that transition year, would have been a lot tougher if I didn't have a boss like Lisa. So I'm, I'm thankful for for her. Yeah. Well, and then you go on and move to Purdue and there's another level of jumping from a mid-major to a BCS level where it's, again, brand new stuff. You've got more people around. So in some regards, people might think it's easier at the, the top level, but there's still a big learning curve there. So what was the adjustment like between those two? Well, it probably would have been a lot more uh, of a learning curve if I had not been at Purdue 45 minutes away from home. Um, so I didn't mm -hmm. have to get adjusted to, mm -hmm. to a new place, a new area. It's pretty familiar. Uh, Christy Curry, um, and my dad had a really good relationship because again, he had this really talented AAU program, yeah. um, and youth mentoring organization for so many years that he had developed relationships that, I've been very thankful and appreciative have been passed on to me. Uh, a lot of the people who deal with me are because he's been such an upstanding person um, in his side of things. So uh, Christy and I actually met uh, because one of her players um, that played for my dad was having a little bit of trouble. And I, I went into the meeting with her and luckily uh, she was impressed enough that she thought that I would make a good coach one day. And that's actually wow. how that opportunity came about. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so we talk a lot about how life is an interview, like you never know yeah. uh, what, what's going to happen. So that was very fortunate. But you, you start talking about the basketball part, and obviously Purdue was in such a great place by the time I got there. Yeah. You know, going to the NCAA tournament and, and Sweet 16s. Uh, Christy had just come off of a national championship game two years before that. Carolyn Peck had won a national championship. So you got seven, 8,000 fans in the stands. Uh, it's, it's just completely different than any other experience I had. And, and I think the attention um, was something that was the biggest adjustment, the biggest adjustment. 
Okay, well, you leave Purdue, and uh, it wasn't under the best of circumstances. Um, I know you've talked about it before, but um, as a young assistant, you, you made some mistakes. Um, there were some rules violations, and so you leave the school, and, and you had that, uh, that period of a few years where you're out of coaching in college. Um, I wonder if you can talk me through that as much as you'd be willing to, and just what was that like? Because obviously I know – as someone who excels to be excellent, you, you beat yourself up for the mistakes you make. But like, what did the low points look like, and how did you get out of it uh, to eventually come out the other side? Well, I got the Purdue job when I was 23 years old. So it was, um, again, I was excited and I was happy. Uh, and I was raised to do for people. You know, like if anybody needs help, you help them. Um, so anything that any of our kids ask, I just always said yes. Uh, can you pick me up from here? And, and 15 years ago, there are a lot of rules that are different uh, than they are right now. Um, we were recruiting kids who uh, had a mother who was who was passed away of cancer. You know, so one of those rules violations were I made too many one-minute phone calls to her in the morning uh, when I was actually waking her up to make sure her and her siblings were going to school. Um, there were violations of me putting, uh, their belongings into my garage when they moved from their dorm to their first apartment, um, sending flowers without permission when one of our kids' grandparents had surgery. Um, so no matter what people think about some of that stuff, um, rules are rules and you gotta follow them. And it was my job to protect my career and to make sure I was following those rules. And, uh, some of them, granted, I didn't know. Um, but however, you just kind of learn from it. And I think what I take from it more than anything, Blake, is if you can teach kids how to do for themselves instead of doing things for them, then it obviously protects your career, but it teaches them valuable lessons. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, well, you get, you, you go back home and as you mentioned, it wasn't far, uh, just 45 minutes away from Purdue. Uh, you coach with your dad's or, uh, with his AU program, you work at home for a little bit. Um, when, when you get the call from Mike, who was the former coach at Wright State, Mike Bradbury, and, um, he tries to, to win you over. I know you had talked about it again in the past. You had been to Wright State before and were like, no way in the world would I coach there because there's nothing there. And then he brings you on campus and you go, wow. Um, what was it specifically that, uh, made you decide to get back in and specifically get back in with him at a place that previously you didn't think could be successful? Well, I'll have to start with Mike Bradbury and being who he is and who he's been to me since I was 15 years old. And he called me when all that stuff happened at Purdue because let's not forget the biggest the biggest bomb of all of it was I helped a kid with the paper. And unfortunately it was determined that I helped her too much. And that turned into this huge academic fraud situation. And I had people try to hire me when I was out for that four years, but let's be realistic. It had a lot to do with Amber Harris, who was the number one player in the country to Shea Phillips, who was my cousin and the number two player in the country. I don't think anyone really wanted to hire me because they thought I was any good. Hmm. I think to hire me because they thought that it, there would be players yeah, that follow package deal. Yep. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jernigan included. Um, these are all top 20 players in the country. Well, Mike Bradbury didn't care about any of that. Like he didn't think that those kids were going to come. Um, and they were in school anyway by that point, but it, it was all about the relationship that we had and, and him knowing me since I was a teenager. And, and for him to even consider hiring me after a lot of people, 
tried and didn't or claim they tried and couldn't or, or whatever the case may be, there's no way that I could be where I am right now without him. Yeah. Um, and so when he told me, hey, you got to come over here, but you got to talk to administration and you got to talk about some stuff. Yeah. You know, and, and so thankful to Bob Grant and the administration at the time that allowed me to come to campus and tell my side of the story and how it didn't mean any harm and it wasn't my intent to, to wrong anyone or get anybody in trouble. And I would never make those decisions again. And I, I understand how I could have done things differently. And I walked out of there nervous with my, my shirt just drenched in sweat, <laughs> you know, because you got to imagine some people are, are saying all over message boards and everything. Hey, she'll never coach again. Yeah. Um, yeah. One quote was, she's got a better chance of being a samurai ninja warrior than being a division one coach again you know and at 26 years old like i'm in tears <laughs> screaming to my dad like look what they wrote um you know so it was really surreal uh, to be in a position to even have a, another opportunity and mike bradbury is a winner and he yeah. has won everywhere he's been and it's because he knows a lot about basketball. He's a great recruiter, and he goes to battle and to war for his kids. And he was everything that, that I thought that I wanted to be, and the opportunity to work for him, regardless of where it was, um, was going to be you know, clearly something that was going to help me move forward. Yeah. Um, and this place is awesome, too. Like, like the administration is great. We have great facilities. Um, more importantly, he allows us to actually put the kids first. So it is a student, a person first, student second, athlete third. And that's not just something we say, like it's a real thing. Yeah. And I don't think that there are a lot of places that are like that. So I'm fortunate to have been a part of it and to obviously be where we are now. Yeah. Uh, just, just to be clear, you, you didn't um, become a samurai warrior in that time off, right? That's just, a, okay, I just need to follow up. Okay. Uh, I coached a little AAU and then went in the classroom, taught second grade class. Okay. Um, which was not my speed. Because um, the first thing that I learned was that you can't carry over things day to day. If they forget their pencil on Monday, they're going to forget <laughs> it on Tuesday. You can't get mad at them for it. Yeah. Um, so that's not that wasn't a good fit. And then I went to a sixth grade classroom because my degrees are in education and uh, English lit. And uh, teenagers weren't my thing either. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I ended up doing some training, uh, but was very thankful for the people who gave me those jobs, too, because yeah. I hadn't done anything but coach my whole life. Sure. So uh, I appreciate those opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it was funny. good to get back into coaching. Yeah. Well, so this is and for full disclosure, for those listening, I did not say anything to Trina beforehand. So now this is this is legitimate. You don't know this, but you and I have actually coached against each other before. Uh, no, yes. I didn't know that. And in December of 2013, uh, I came with the team I was an assistant coach for to the Wright State Invitational in December uh, when I was an assistant at Gardner Webb. And uh, oh, wow. you guys beat us 90 to 77. Um, we played really good, but Kim Demings torched us. <laughs> Like had thirty or something. I haven't looked it up, but she she scored a lot. I've in my head it it expands when I think about it. She she probably had like twenty five, but in my head I'm like yeah she scored like fifty. But uh, yeah, so we lost that game to you guys, but we actually played really well. And so yeah, so you are one and zero in this conversation. So I just wanted to uh, share that bit of history with you. 
Well, if it makes you feel any better, she is all-time leading scorer in <laughs> leading in right state history. So she did that to a whole lot of people. <laughs> that does make me feel better. <laughs> Thank you. That makes me feel a lot better. Oh, man. Uh, well, so anyway, a little trip down memory lane for you. But um, you, so you're there at Wright State. Mike Bradbury mm-hmm. takes the New Mexico job. And you, you know, go through the interview process and you get the head coaching job. I always think it's difficult. Uh, I think it's more difficult to take over for a successful coach than a non-successful, right? Because the bar is set so high. Um, Absolutely. If you guys, you know, you go from winning 25 games to going to winning 17 games, people are going to go, well, what the heck is she doing wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And you didn't do that. You win 25 games your first year. You go to the second round of the NIT. Uh, you win 23 games last season. Go Again, go to the WNIT. Uh, and this year, you're 22 and six, 14 and two in conference. You control your own destiny in the Horizon League with two more games left in the regular season. How have you been able to maintain and even elevate the success of the program following up someone who was so successful? It's staffing and it's having the best players. Um, all I know is that what I've been able to do and what I needed in my first year of coaching. Uh, was a lot of experience around me. So I hired a staff um, that would stop me from messing stuff up, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, and Keith Freeman was was really great at that. Um, he's such a, a veteran coach, and, and we talk to this day because he's so influential. Um, and then after a couple of years, uh, it was clear that everyone needed a, a different challenge and, and to do some different things and then allow me to put together a year three, the staff that I needed, not just for me, but for our kids. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you like, that is the number one thing. Like you see all these programs and they've got good players and they don't win. And a lot of it has to do with chemistry and their staff. And I've got people that surround me that care about these kids that are, are great coaches that are fun to be around. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's the number one thing. And because of that, we can recruit and we create this environment that's encouraging and positive and uplifting and, and very fun. And I think that people are drawn to it. And I think that that's one of the, those are the main reasons why we've been able to do it. I would tell you that, Oh, it's the dribble drive or, you know, how we do this or do that. But I, I don't really think that's it. Uh, I don't think it has anything to do with the X's and O's, and I think we do a pretty good job with that too. But I think it's just the culture and environment we have. Yeah, sure. Well, it's uh, it's been pretty impressive. And again, you you've got a chance if you win your last two games, you're, you're going to win the regular season Horizon League outright. Uh, you have to go on the road to Detroit, and you have to go on the road to Oakland. I'm curious for you as a team at the top. And I mean this in no disrespect, but Detroit and Oakland are on the bottom uh, of the conference uh, as far as, you know, the the conference standings go. So there are two teams that outside looking in, you go, oh, Wright State should win those games. No problem. How do you keep your team focused and not to do that and overlook them and get nipped at the end and end up uh, potentially tying or losing the Horizon League? Oh, you mean like we did two years ago? Oh, you, uh-huh. you said it, not me. So, yeah, so, but we did. So we were in first place before we went uh, to Michigan two years ago. And so fortunately, there's some people on the team uh, that remember that. Okay. And so I, I think that the locker room always helps when you got the, the senior leadership that we do and, and they're having those conversations. Um, and I'll just brag for a couple minutes oh, on yeah. my 
staff. Like you got Kim Demings, who uh, obviously we know who she is, but her and Abby Jump on staff who won a conference championship. Um, and so you've got them that are constantly in their ear. Uh, I've got Ashley Barlow who played in Notre Dame and, and knows all about winning. And that's telling them, hey, it's right here. Don't let us lose it. And my associate head coach, Tanil Adams, that everything that I don't know anything about that's going on, it gets handled by her and the rest of the staff. Mm. And so I've got zero concern about our kids not being ready or not being focused. And that when we get to practice tomorrow, um, they know that, like you said, we control our own destiny. And and what are we going to do with it? Mm. Is the... I mean, everyone wants to go to the NCAA tournament, obviously. that's That goes without stating. But is that the fact that you guys have come so close uh, both the previous two seasons, is that something that eats at you? Do you not think about it? How, you know, how, do you, how does that affect you personally? Yeah, I'm telling you, it, it, it bothers you because okay. it has to. Like, yeah. when you feel like you have a really good team and, and everything is, is in place and then you get down to those games uh, and you just don't, perform the way that you would like to um green bay is obviously highly respected across the country not just in our league and they've been really really good Mm -hmm. and they're tough to beat and when you get in those situations that experience sometimes plays out um and you just wish it so much for your kids that we could just figure out how to get over that hump. Uh, but I'll tell you, we're really proud of, and, and it's hard in a one big league, Blake, for people to really understand that the conference championship, that's 18 games, and that is three months, is the one that shows your collective body of work. And so much emphasis gets put on our tournament because it's the only way for us to get to the NCAAs. Yep. Uh, but what we try to do in this program, and what I feel like a, a lot of programs to do is if your kids can accomplish something over a three-month period like that needs to be celebrated just as much if not more Mm -hmm. than what you can pull off in three games um but nonetheless you know of course they want it uh we're all wearing our rings uh from 2014 so the kids get to see them every day um and hopefully that's a, a little bit of a reminder of, of how special it is there's pictures everywhere uh yeah. from 2014 uh and i think that they just want to be a part of that too mm, that's good stuff well i uh i, I want to touch on this too I, I should have asked this earlier but um when you i'm interested in the change of mentality from being an assistant for these kids to going to a head coach did you uh, did you have to change your personality, your your coaching style? Did you what what I guess what did you have to change uh, when you took over the head spot at Wright State, and how has that kind of evolved over the the past two plus years? I'm not the kind of person that that talks about how one struggle is worse than the other. A struggle is a struggle, but it is a struggle to go from being the assistant that I was here to being the head coach, um, the one who talked to the kids, kind of knew what was going on, kept the pulse on the team, um, and then you get into the head coaching position, and you don't really want to know those things. Your assistants are the ones that you want to know those things to handle stuff for you. Um, I didn't always do a great job of that. I had kind of missed being really close to them. Um, I missed not knowing what was going on with them. And so there were times where I interfered. I'm sure I got on my assistant's nerves at the time. Um, you know, because they're like, man, we didn't really want you to know that. We were right. handling it. Um, and I was kind of being nosy and meddling a little bit. Um, so that was the toughest part for me. In terms of, of discipline or um, uh, leadership and that sort of thing, we got really good kids. And then the adjustment 
was made easier because of the type of kids that we had. Mm-hmm. And I think they were just really excited uh, for the opportunity that I had uh, to be the head coach. And I think that they were willing to work really hard. And that's the only reason why we were in that position in year one. Mm-hmm. So there there was a lot. Um, people will tell you the responsibilities are tenfold, and, and that's absolutely true. I used to say I had a, a never-ending to-do list. I swear every time I knocked something off, ten things went back on it. Yeah. Um you know, so there's there's definitely a difference, but being in the same place when you're so close to the kids and you got to have a little bit of separation so you can coach them a little differently is probably the, the toughest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you are a team that has um, has a number of players that contribute. You don't have any one player that you go, hey, if we stop her, we're going to be okay. Um, you just right. you look at your scoring list. Uh, Mackenzie Taylor leads you guys with just under 12 a game. And then uh, Michael Miller is right under 12 a game and Angel Baker is right there. So uh, I just want to give you an opportunity to, to just kind of brag on your team uh, and do that however you see fit. Yeah, it's it's a special group. Again, I think we got counted out because we graduated uh, the player of the year from a year ago. Um, and we had some people that had to step up and that would be our seniors and Emily Vogelpool, who's first team all conference, um, preseason, uh, Mackenzie Taylor and Simone Simmons. So those three in particular, where Simone Simmons is a five foot eight forward that has now broken the all time rebounding, uh, category. She is all going to get a thousand rebounds. Like there's no question. She's very close. Um, I think it's eight, She's eight rebounds away from a thousand. Um, and then she's right at a thousand points to 10 away. And, um, that's just special. I don't know anybody who's done that. Who's had a thousand points and a thousand rebounds. Um, and so she had to step up. She had 21 rebounds yesterday. Um, Mackenzie Taylor, who is five foot five and, oh, she would get me five foot six. Um, and she is, making sure that she plays hard and aggressive and can really shoot the three, but has increased her, her offensive repertoire so that she can be what we need her to be. And Emily Vogel just does everything. She's going to leave here top 10 in four statistical categories in a right state history. Um, so that it starts with that senior class. And what we were able to do, was bring in some pieces. Uh, Imani Partlow as a fifth year who had played four years at Xavier to give us some depth in the post. Uh, and she's just downright strong. Um, <laughs> and it, like uh, People got to hate playing against her because anytime you get close to her, she moves, you just fall down. Um, and then uh, Mikhail Miller, who started off at University of Arizona and then Trinity Valley, uh, recruited her early in the year, knowing that we were going to graduate someone who scored 20 points. So she comes in and um, is really aggressive offensively and and gives us a different look. Um, And Angel Baker, that you mentioned earlier, is, uh, I mean, she's just an unbelievable player on handler score, um, is now coming into her own defensively. So we have those three key uh, additions and then the support group so that's six kids i named um we have five more that are playing in the game right now and i can literally play 11 players yeah and and we've got sometimes we platoon sub um just because we can because that, that second <laughs> group um and i'm telling you our kids are energized and they're excited they're not worn down they're not tired they're not ready for the season to be over mm-hmm. and i think it's just because they genuinely know like they need each other and not to be remiss we've got these uh, red shirts that are sitting out <clears throat> and one being a uh, Nia Sumter who's hurt too. Um, those three in practice 
our coaches will tell you when they put together the scout team, they're <laughs> better than a lot of people's first five. Yeah. They got you a know, squad. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's that there's like literally there's 15 people. And then we got our practice players too that come in and help us. And it is a complete and total group effort. And they've embraced each other. The chemistry has gotten better as the season has gone on. Cause you can imagine there was some little jockeying for position there. Absolutely. Uh, trying to see who was going to do what. And when they all just settled in and believed in each other, they've been the unstoppable during the time. Yeah. Well, it will be, uh, it'll be interesting to see you guys. Uh, again, you go on the road Thursday at Detroit mercy and then wrap up your regular season on Saturday at Oakland before, uh, your conference tournament starts. Now, I want to wrap up with uh, a couple personal questions, and I need you to be honest with me, okay? <laughs> oh, I need boy. you to be honest with is me. Is there an option to plead the fifth? No, it is not. I'm sorry. Okay. That's not, okay. yeah, we live outside of laws here. Yes. Um, is it true <laughs> that you still have a pretty good pull-up jumper? I hear that you, uh, I, hear, <laughs> I hear you got a steady hand. I need. I need to confirm this. Okay. Um, now it doesn't look the same. Um, the jump in the jumper is, is not, uh, is high. Does it go um, in? Does it go I in? Survive in a game of pig, not horse, but pig. <laughs> um, and so it's either the pull up jumper or it's the, I'm ready to win. So then I start shooting with my left hand. Oh. Uh, but that's, that's all I got is, is stationary stuff. There's no up and down. Well, that's okay. They had to come Abby jump. Uh, I know, I know she did that. I mean, I'm not going to reveal my sources, but, um, also another question. Um, you're, you're like a, you're a sub uh, 70% free throw shooter in college. What happened? Uh, I was a 70% in college. Is that what it said? Uh, sub 70%. Sub 70%. Uh, yes. I'm, uh, according, yeah. according to my research, 68.8%. Yeah, that's not what I remember. So I'm pretty sure. Hold <laughs> on, on a um, second. And, and, yeah, and, and I'm pretty sure it's inaccurate. You know, back in the '90s, that record keeping was a little sketch. So um, uh, uh, I'm not gonna confirm nor deny that. Someone, um, someone, get me the Cincinnati SID from 19 uh, <laughs> from 1999, please. Thank you, thank you. We'll get them on next week. Oh my gosh. Oh my All right, I'm gonna let you off the hook there. That's fine. Um, uh, last last one. Um, I also hear you're a big dog person. I am. I love dogs. What What is your favorite dog? A Rhodesian Ridgeback. That sounds like a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a really really awesome dog, and the staff makes fun of me because we clearly uh, we're trying to figure out how we can make this happen because we just need a dog around here. So. When I tell them about the Rhodesian Ridgeback and I look it up, I try to remind them that their bones were found in Africa on top of children under volcanic ash. Because they're dragons. No, it's, they're not. No, they didn't. They didn't. It was the volcano. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was dark. fire from the dragons. No, no. And see, I keep telling people like, okay, and here's the truth. I gave up on it. I kept doing more research and, and I don't think that it's something to have Rhodesia Ridgeback. Um, and so we probably won't do that. But it is my favorite dog. And I think that they're gorgeous. And they uh, they hunt 
And I think that they're amazing. But uh, the staff does not agree with me. And that is not the dog that we will be getting together. Okay. So, yeah. So this will be a dog that lives in the, in the, uh, the offices. No, it's, it's going to live at my house. Oh. And they claim. They help me take care of it, okay. but we'll, we'll see how that goes. So we're, we're, we're having some trouble. We want wine ramers and golden doodles. Mm. And I just, we don't agree. We, we don't agree right That's now well, on, on the, the dog that we need to have. Well, you, you remind that staff who, who signs the paychecks and it'll be all right. Right. (laughs) Friendly reminders with them. No, uh, I appreciate you uh, giving me your time today and telling me about your program. I also appreciate you uh, putting up with my ridiculousness. Uh, But Wright Wright State, again, one of the best mid-major teams in the country. Top 15 in the mid-major polls anywhere you check them. 22-6 and overall, 14-2 and in conference. And again, control their own destiny. Coach, thank you so much for your time and sharing it with me. No, thank you so much for having us. I appreciate that. Well, thank you again to Katrina Merriweather, head coach at Wright State University. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, they're a good team, a really solid, well-balanced team. I look forward to watching them play well into March. Thank you for listening, uh, whether it's on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, or wherever else you listen. It is appreciated. If you listen on iTunes, you can leave a rating and a review. That is greatly appreciated. You can find me on Twitter, always, at Blake Dudonis, with your thoughts and comments. And until next time, this is The Jump Round.